We're going to continue to talk about faith tonight through the summer. The last couple of years, it, it, I, I don't know that I planned it this way. It worked out this way that through the summer, I've always taken time just to sow faith into the people, at least the Wednesday night crowd. And uh, so we're going to do it again, at least some this summer, because I don't know about you. It seems like I've, I've got to be encouraged in faith at least once a year for, for a time period. And the scripture tells us that we walk by faith, not by sight. Is that not true? So, so I trust you're practicing that, that you're going to have to find moments that you're going to walk by faith. You're going to walk by what God has said and not just by what you see. And as you also know, I'll say it one more time on Wednesdays, I oftentimes will create notes for you to fill in the blank and things like that. But I did not do that for this series because faith cometh by, yeah, faith cometh by hearing, not by filling in the blanks. So you can take notes, obviously, but uh, I want you to hear, all right? It's hearing that builds our faith up. So I want you to be sure you hear and not get caught up in just fill in the blank stuff. All right, if you have your Bibles, let me read a couple passages to you here, short passages, just to get us started um, in, in our continuing faith talks. Romans 4, 17, Romans 4, 17. It's a great passage of scripture dealing with Abraham Again, for some of you, these concepts are quite familiar. Even if they're familiar, you need to be reminded. In fact, that's why uh, some of the letters were written. I remember uh, when Peter wrote to those that were scattered throughout, he said, Cappadocia and Asia. He said, I, I, I write these things to you that I might stir up your pure mind. And every now and then we've got to have our minds stirred again unto truth. And so even if you know this, I'm just stirring the pot tonight. Well, forgive me, I didn't want to call you a pot. I'm just stirring the heart tonight. Amen. Romans 4, 17, talking about Abraham. And as you will recall, that God gave a great promise to Abraham and to Sarah, despite their age, he promised them that from their biological bodies, a child would come forth. Ultimately, that would be Isaac. And uh, whom through him, the promise of the covenant would take place that all the nations of the world would be blessed and that Abraham would, be, would literally become the father of many nations. But when you receive a promise and you and your wife are up there in your mid-90s and it's a childbearing promise, how many of you know that could be challenging? Could be challenging. Our bodies were not designed to... Uh, at least no man's body is designed, but a woman's body, is, as generally we speak, is not designed for childbirth in the years of 90 plus. But God said so. And it's one of those instances, one of those stories where you have to ask yourself, will I believe what I see in the natural or will I believe what God has said? And this is really important because one of the most crucial lessons that you will have to get under your belt as a Christian is the lesson that are you going to believe what you see all the time or will you believe what God has said? And sometimes that's not just a convenient thought in order to get a blessing. Sometimes that's the basis of life and death. And I encourage you that before you get to the life and death crossroad, I hope you never get to a crossroad like that, but I just encourage you that before you would ever face a crossroad like that, 
that you would get some precepts under your belt early, maybe in some easier venues or easier circumstances, and believe God in those circumstances with these precepts so that you can build yourself up to the place that when you find yourself in the crucial moment, this is crunch time, the doctor has made the diagnosis that maybe there's a terminal disease and he gives, he's giving you the prognosis that you only maybe have months to live. That's the moment that you can't decide to walk in faith. You, you have to have been walking in faith when you get to that moment. And uh, here we find Abraham and Sarah. While it's not a life and death issue per se, it is an issue of whether God's promise will come to pass in their life. And, and this is going to seem strange. It would seem, I, I know we read the Bible, and for some reason we don't think it's strange in the Bible because we think these people to be sort of like uh, super saints, super patriarchs. You know, they, they glow in the dark, right? All these people glowed in the dark, and they're just different. They're different than you and me. Hey, no, they weren't. They were born under the same curse. They were born with the same challenges, the same problems. A lot of them have greater problems than some of you have. And yet they had the capacity to implement certain precepts that enabled them to access some promises in God. This is an important one. Romans 4, 17, where it's talking about Abraham. It says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead, now listen, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who calls those things which do not exist as though they did. I got to keep reading. I can't just stop there. It says, who, contrary to hope, speaking of Abraham now, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed. Now, what does that mean? What does that phrase mean? Because we've already laid this down, remember, through Wednesday night Bible study. It means that he had no reason, they had no reason to expect a baby to come from a 90-plus-year-old woman. There was no reason to expect that. That was contrary to hope. If you went to the doctor, I, I don't think anybody here is 90-plus years old, but if you went to the doctor and said, I want, I want to have a baby, you know, they chuckle. There is no legitimate expectation for you to have that you could give birth under these circumstances. And that's what it means. Who contrary to hope. There is no legitimate expectation. Yet it says, in hope, believe. What does that mean? When everyone else says, it's done, it's over, it can't happen. You know, shut the door, lock it up, turn out the lights. Elvis has left the building. When everyone else is saying that to you, there's something inside of you that says no one else may expect it, but contrary to hope, in hope. In other words, I've got expectation. I have an anticipation, an expectation. It says believed so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, which means again that there were things, I take that to mean that he had practiced faith walking to that place. He was not weak in faith at this moment. He did not consider his own body already dead. What it meant by that was is that it could not procreate. His body was dead. There was no life in him since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, yet he did not waver 
at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Now, can you hear in just those verses I read to you, all of the concepts of faith that I have thrown out here the last, what, three weeks? All right, there's expectation, there's confidence, he's convinced, he knows that he knows. There's something in his heart that he has laid hold of that no matter what we see in the natural, he's already caught a glimpse of it through his spiritual eyes. And all of this started in verse 17, where it said, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. We'll come back to that in just a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, we read, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen... The foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. God has chosen to take things that you and I cannot see with our natural eyes. He has chosen to use things that, that are yet to exist, as it said in Romans 4.17. Keeping with Abraham, here's a pregnancy, here's a son, here's, here's the heritage, the legacy, here's the patriarch. It doesn't exist yet, but God has chosen to take that which does not exist and to bring it into existence in order, it says here, to bring to nothing the things that are. God delights in taking what doesn't exist, bringing it to pass, and, and, looking, and making the world look foolish. He loves to do that. When everyone says, it can't happen, God says, watch me. When you say it can't happen, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, I can do all things, right? So, so we've got to get a hold of this, calling those things that be not as though they are. God chose spiritual forces that you cannot see, you cannot feel, you cannot taste, you cannot smell, you cannot hear to bring to nothing the things you can sense. And this is how God manifests promise in most instances. Now, I wrote down here, there's a great difference between calling things that are not as though they were and calling things that are as though they weren't. Did you get that? There's a great difference between calling things that are not as though they were and calling things that are as though they weren't. You see, if a problem exists, let's just say, for example, You've come in here tonight, and you've, you've, you, you, you're facing a challenge. You've got a difficulty. Well, let's just say sickness. We'll just use sickness as an example. You know that it's God's preference that you be whole, that you be well. God, God loves to heal people. The Scripture tells us that it was by the stripes of Jesus that we were healed. There is healing in the atonement. God has made provision for our healing. So we know healing is a part of God's will and preference for our life. Now, you're sick, let's say. 
So what, so what do you see? You see sickness. You may be coughing up phlegm. You may be having a fever. You, you may be sick to your stomach. You may, you may be challenged by disease. You may have some disease of the blood, some cancer, something you know, very difficult, challenging. And, and, and so that exists. Now, here's what some people think these verses mean. They're sick, and they walk around, and they say, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. You know, you're coughing, sneezing, hacking. Don't get near me because I'll tell you right now, you are sick. I mean, that's just, that's reality. God's word doesn't mean to deny reality because what people want to do is they want to call things that are as though they aren't. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we call those things that are not as though they were. So we never deny the existence of a problem. You may have a problem tonight. You may have anyone of, of a myriad of problems and challenges that we face as we walk through this world. You may have one tonight. Now, you don't walk out of here and say, I don't have a problem. Yes, you do. You absolutely have a problem. The key isn't denying your problem. The key is you've got to find God's answer that does not yet exist in the natural, but it does exist here in the spiritual. Healing exists in the atonement. Healing exists in the will of God. Healing exists in the kingdom of God. So what do we do? We call those things that be not. What, what, what be not? Healing. So we call those things that be not as though they were. You're sick. What do we do? We say this, Lord, yes, I'm sick. I'm feeling under the weather. I may have a disease. Yes, I do. But I begin to call healing forth in the name of Jesus. And I declare I am healed and I am whole in the name of Jesus. You follow me? Calling those things that be not as though they were. We're denying, this is what we're denying. We're not denying the existence of a problem, but rather we're denying its right to exist in our lives. Now this takes faith. Because your senses will be lit up telling you, what are you saying? That's silly. That's not true. That just doesn't work that way in sickness, but it works that way in every area of life. We are so empowered by our senses that we have given them such authority that we have a hard time breaking out of what our senses are telling us and what God tells us. And so that's why it, it, it's best that we understand this is a walk of faith. And when you face what I said earlier, a diagnosis and then a prognosis from a medical professional who oftentimes comes in with great authority, great education, great schooling, looks at you and says, this is the way it's going to be. It's going to happen just like this. And because there's authority there, it's easy for us just to latch hold of it and say, well, it must be so. But the key is, that's what he sees with his natural eyes and his natural training. What do you see in the will of God? And that's the moment you have to call those things that be not as though they were. Now, most people, unfortunately, agree with the enemy on a constant basis. We agree with him constantly. He'll throw things at us, and we constantly agree with it. He'll, he'll throw defeat at us, and we'll say, yep, I'm defeated. He'll throw calamity at us and say, yep, it's all falling apart. He'll throw sickness at us and we'll go, yeah, I'm going to have this for two weeks. That's how long they said. They said this flu lasts two weeks. Satan is a liar. You realize that. 
When you agree with his domain or his instigations, you are agreeing with a lie. And what you're doing is you're establishing a present condition rather than beginning to confess the potential answer. All right? Whenever we confess God's word and promises, we are beginning to act like God acts. Now listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. The Lord demonstrated us both Old Testament and New Testament. The Lord has demonstrated to us how spiritual things are activated. If God had a car to sell, according to the Bible, think about this for just a minute. If God had to get rid of a car, what kind of a car do you think God would drive? I don't know, some cool car, I bet. An Escalade. I mean, they could be. He's a big God. He may need a... But think about this. I know it's a silly illustration, but if God had to get rid of a car, what would he do? Would he put it on Craigslist? Worry about it? I mean, what would he do? You know what God would do? Think about this for just a minute. What would God do? God would call it sold, right? Isn't that what he'd do? What would you think? Yes, he would. You say, well, that's silly. No, it's not. How did God create a world? He spoke it, didn't he? There was nothing. Nothing existed. If you were there, if you could have been there and you could see with your senses, your eyes, and just experience that whole creative activity, there was nothing there. You'd have to look and say, God, there's nothing here to create a universe with. And God would say, I don't need anything. I simply speak and it happens by my speaking. Now, this is, this is critical because until we understand that God has linked spiritual activity to this. If you want to know where spiritual activity happens in your life, it's there in the tongue. How did you get saved? The scripture says you confessed with your, that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says a spiritual happening took place. And that was what? Salvation, right? That's what you did, Roger, right? You confessed his lordship. You believed in your heart and, and something spiritual happened. Now keep a hold of that because that will serve you the rest of your days as you walk with the Lord. You, he doesn't roll. We don't work for our salvation. We don't roll up our sleeves and say, how much do I have to do to get saved? No, we don't. We speak and it's activated. All, all of your spiritual life works that way. And until you understand that, it will be forever frustrating. That is why in the story of Zacharias, which was John the Baptist's dad, if you've never read the story, just go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. It's kind of a long chapter, so I'm not going to read you the whole thing. I'm going to tell it to you real fast. A lot of you know it. You know that the angel shows up as Zacharias the priest is offering a sacrifice or incense before the Lord, and, and he speaks to Zacharias, and this is what he says. He says, you're going to have a son. Zach. Yeah. So you just thought of Zach right there. So old Zach. Only it was you, this is young Zach over here. We're talking this is old Zach. Old Zach heard this angel. Now listen, this he's having a conversation with an angel. Think about that, Bill. God shows up. Well, his voice through an angel. And you're having a conversation with an angel. Get this now. You're an, an angel. And he says, you're, you're going to have, you're going to have a child. And he begins to go, 
Now you think about that for just an, an angel's talking to you. An angel. Now I would think there would be some credibility in that announcement if an angel came to see you. Is that not true? I mean, here's this angel. And you go, yeah, like, right. Like, like, how dumb are you, old Zach? And the Bible, and the Bible says that he literally says, how can this be? Because me and my wife, Elizabeth, we're old. Now, here's the part that will even slay you even more. And that is he's in the ministry. He knows the scripture. This type of event has happened before. I just read it to you out of Romans chapter 4, but it was actually in the book of Genesis where Abraham was told, along with Sarah, they were going to have a child and God did it. And now the exact, almost the exact same scenario takes place where old Zach is told he and Elizabeth are going to have a child and old Zach goes, like, right. And he totally forgets that's what God had done before. He had a word. He had scripture. But he decides to go, I don't want to, that's not going to happen. Now, in the graciousness of God for most of us, what happens is this. God just goes, whatever. If you want to miss it, you're lost. That's how God works with most of us today. You know what he did with Zacharias? This was so important that it was this family that had John the Baptist in their household. What, what that angel did was he zipped the lip of Zacharias. And Zacharias literally couldn't speak for nine months. For nine months. Why did he close his mouth? Because, because God knew if he didn't shut the boy up, he would yak his face off until he would curse the very promise that God wanted to bring to pass in their life. Do you understand that's a lot of times that's God's looking at us and, and he's just saying, can I put a zipper on your lip, please? Because it's not God not wanting to do something for you. It's you not setting your confession in a place where God wants it to be because this is by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, what, verse 6, it says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so that's why oftentimes we do not see great, dramatic, miraculous spiritual activity take place in our life. Because out of our own mouths, we begin to circumvent, stop, or, or, or cut short what God wants to do. And so it's for nine months, old Zach couldn't talk. Until finally... They get to the end, and uh, it says that when uh, she gave birth, his mouth was loosed. And I think the name, he's, they were asking, what shall we call him? And, and the first thing that came out of his mouth was, call him John. And then he started praising God. And I thought, you had your mouth shut supernaturally for nine months. I bet you would praise God. Okay? But, but, that's, but see, because he refused to call those things that be not, right, as though they were. All right? Now, this whole principle is called the principle of confession. Now, I understand people have abused positive confession. I understand that. I understand we've had people through the decades, these last decades, run around and they've confessed silly things. Here's what I believe about confession. I believe confession, number one is, I believe confession that agrees with the enemy comes to pass very easily. Because the enemy wants to bring destruction and defeat 
He wants to steal from you. And I, and I believe that we just agree with the enemy. I'm not saying we mean to, but in our ignorance, we agree with the thief more times than probably we're even aware of. What we need to do is we need to become more cognizant of what's coming out of our mouth, and we need to begin to agree with what God has said. And if, and if we begin to agree with what God has said, I think we will be amazed at what God will begin to bring to pass. How many of us, I use this illustration all the time, I, I, you're driving down the road, maybe this is more of a guy thing, so the guys may identify with this, you're driving down a road, somebody comes up to an intersection, or they're coming into a, a, a street that feeds into the one you're on, and you see that car coming, and this is what you do. You start going, watch, watch, watch. They're gonna, that car's about ready to pull out in front of me. Watch this, watch this. It's going to pull out in front of me. It's going to pull out in front of me. Yes, he pulls out in front of me. We do, we do that in some form or fashion all the time. Um, you know, if, if, if you know, it's a, it's a bad, we'll start saying, well, you know, it's just a bad economy. It's a bad economy, and, and sure enough, they're going to lay people off. And, and uh, well, I, I was thinking just the other day, Ed, of you, I know at your place, they were, they were sowing into you guys that it was, you know, funds were drying up. It's a bad economy. We're going we're gonna to lay people off. And I know that was of concern. And, uh, and I'm not, I don't know what your confession was, but I'm just saying all of a sudden now, they're wanting to hire people, right? Now, isn't that interesting? How, they, how all that stuff gets thrown out there, it produces all this worry or anxiety in the workforce, when in reality, now that we're a little farther down the road, they're actually hiring people. You've got to understand the natural is subject to change. And you've got to understand that if you start agreeing with that which is always changing, you're going to be agreeing with an enemy who, who, who is going to bring destruction in your life. God is the only unchangeable one. He is the only anchor. He's the only one whose promises are forever sure. The scripture says this, the psalmist wrote it. He said, thy word, O Lord, is forever established in the heavens. His promises are forever established. And so that's what we're dipping into when we begin to bring this confession to pass in our life. Now, let me give you, I'm going to give you five things. You can write these down. How do you start getting these things in order? How do you get this right? Number one. We need to start confessing the scripture that fits our situation. That's why we read the word, we study the word, we have our devotions in the word. Why is it important to get your head in God's word? The reason you need to get your head in God's word is because somewhere along the way, you're going to read a passage, and it may not apply to you at that moment, but this is what happens. It happens to me all the time. I have 30 plus years of walking with the Lord now and reading his word. I've read through the Bible a number of times now. But, and it's amazing, once you get, your, get his word in your heart, then when you face a situation, the Holy Spirit has the capacity to bring up his word in your heart. And it's, it's, it's almost like, this is the one, Kevin. This is the one to stand on. And that's what becomes really a neat thing in your relationship with God is when you have the capacity to have stored enough inside of you that he can begin to bring it up. But, but here's the good news in the 21st century is that it's all here anyway. And what he can do if he doesn't do it that way is you can be reading your devotions in the middle of a tremendously challenging situation and all of a sudden you pass, your eyes pass a verse and that verse leaps up out at you. And that's the one right there. That's the one I need to begin to confess. That's the one I need to stand on. It wasn't my idea. 
I'm not making it, you know, I'm not making it something it's not. It says that this is what God will do. And I begin to stand on it. And when you begin to confess that and stand on that, despite what you're seeing, God will move on this precept that you've called those things that be not as though they were. Number two, speak what God has said is available and not what you don't want. Speak what God has said is available and not what you don't want. What do I mean by that? If God says the joy is available, then don't walk around going, oh God, I'm depressed. I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. I am so depressed. Now depression runs in my family. And I really shouldn't be surprised I'm depressed. I, seems like most of my life is just depressing. I'm just a depressing person. I run into depressing people. Depressing people are all around me. Isn't that amazing? There's probably, probably something to that, but I'm too depressed to find out what all, that's all about. Are you following me? You got You got. You say, but you don't know how I feel. It's not about how you feel. It's what what has God said? I'm telling you, there are times that I've had to had to get up in the morning, and I just said, I'm full of joy. Praise God. Well, the Bible said David had to encourage himself in the Lord. What do you think that looks like? It looks like this. I encourage myself in the Lord. I will arise. I will overcome. I will prevail. I will not be stopped. The enemy is a liar. You know, let God be true. Let, let every man be a liar. Lord, you're going to cause goodness to come across my path. Favor is, is beginning to open up over my life. Now, you can't do that. You can't do that for 60 seconds and spend the next 23 hours and 59 minutes speaking the opposite way, okay? You, you've got to speak what God has said is available. Number three, do not make a habit out of consistently confessing your weaknesses. Now, I understand and all of us understand that there are areas of our life that we have strength in and there's areas of our life that we are weak in. And the Bible says, when, I, when I'm weak, he is strong. And, and there's an appropriate place, I think, to go before the Lord and say, Lord, this is a weak area and I need your strength. And so I think that's appropriate to foster a sense of humility that you are reminded on occasion that you ain't all that in a bag of chips. Now, having said that, at the same time, you can't constantly be saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. This isn't going to work. I can't do that. I'm not any good at this. I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm dumb. I'm not smart. I'm, I'm slow. Uh, you know, I, I can't speak. I can't, you, there comes a moment you got to stop. Maybe, maybe for now that's true, but just stop saying it. Okay. And begin to, and begin to find a place of confession. You know, uh, find, find a place where, uh, well, I read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where it says that God uses foolish things to shame the wise. Well, Lord, that's my verse right there because I'm about as big a fool as you can get. So you're going to use me. You're going to use me to reach people that others wouldn't even believe I could reach. Okay. Number four. This is a good one. Number four. Begin to speak or begin to pray the end result of the matter. Begin to pray the end result of the matter. A lot of you, you were trained in your prayer life to bemoan the place you're at. It's like God doesn't know. God, if you're not aware, I'm dying here. If you've forgotten my address, it's my phone number is I'm hurting, I'm sick, I'm this, I'm that, da 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 Everything has come against me. Everything has, 
aligned itself to defeat me. And, and that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to tell God all of these things. And I want to ask you the question, do you think he does not know? Or do you think he does not care? The reason I ask that question is we're getting back to your belief system. What is it that you believe, really? Do you believe he cares? Do you believe he sees? Do you believe he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother? Do you believe that he's walking with you? Do you, be, do you believe the steps of the righteous are ordered? Do you, believe, do you believe that he has prepared works beforehand that you might walk in them? I mean, what, what, what do you really believe? Do you believe that you saying all of this stuff, sort of laying out your terrible situation that somehow God is not aware of? He's aware of where you're at. This is what God moves on. He doesn't move out of pity. He moves out of faith. Golly, I'll say that again. If God moved just out of pity, sweet Jesus, we'd be in revival. But that's why Jesus said the very words, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? He's not looking, he's not looking for, for you know, just, just pitiful situations. He's not looking, he's not looking even for need. Do you understand that if it was just need, that God would be moving in amazing ways in very needy cultures and societies. God is not affected by your need. He's affected by your faith. You could be the neediest person in here, and you might say, I need God to move. And my answer to you is, let's not find who has the biggest need. Let's, let's find who has the faith. God will move for people who have less need than you because they acted and spoke in faith. That's where you need to get. Now, speak the end result. So in other words, if you're facing problems, when you get down on your knees, begin to pray the answer. If you don't know the answer, then just begin to declare your faith that God is sending you the answer. Let me give you an example. For me, this is, this is on my heart. You know this. I've used these illustrations. God, I thank you. And I had to do this for six months. I thank you that that red oak tree is coming down. That, that red oak tree is not my problem. I know it's teaching me things and helping me, but that red oak tree is coming down. In fact, I've still had to pray about it because that red oak tree still ain't down. But I thank you, Lord, that red oak tree is coming down. I thank you, Lord, that, that your heavenly buzzsaw. I don't know. That's not in the word anywhere. I'm just kind of being silly here. But you're seeing what I'm saying. you got to begin to speak the answer. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that though my... My relationship or my marriage is shaky that you're bringing stability to it. I thank you that it's your will that there's stability. And I thank you that stability is coming. I thank you. I thank you that resources headed my direction to pay some of these unexpected bills that I've never, I, I didn't mean to do it. It just happened. I wasn't expecting it. Lord, I'm going to need your help. And I thank you that resource is coming to meet these bills. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You've got to begin. Use gratitude. Use gratitude to help you. Speak the end result. I thank you that victory. Do you believe that victory is your inheritance as a believer? I do. I believe part of my inheritance is that I'm an overcomer. I'm triumphant. I'm victorious. And so when I get on my knees, I can begin to speak the victory in advance. Though they come against me, Lord, praise God, though the enemy comes against me, he will scatter in seven directions in the name of Jesus. Because you've called me to win. I am not a loser. I am a winner. It may be one battle, and it may look like I've lost this battle, but this isn't the war yet. Amen. You're going to cause me to win and have victory. And then finally, number five, apply the principle and then be patient and consistent in your confession. 
Be consistent in your confession. This is not just, and, and, and we've been criticized on this point because people have done this. You know, they want to name it and claim it. They want to blab it and grab it. Well, that's partly true and partly false. There is an appropriate truth that says if we begin to speak those things that be not as though they were, God's Word says they will come to pass. So there is an aspect of you name it and you claim it. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that it's not, it's, it's a consistent lifestyle. And it's not just, you know, you want a Maserati, so you're going to start claiming your Maserati when truthfully, all you need is four wheels to get you to work. And we're going to talk Sunday because we're in third John and I'm going to talk a little bit about prosperity and people have not defined prosperity right in America. We do not know how to define prosperity. We think prosperity is just getting more money. And I'm telling you, there are people with millions of dollars whose lives are falling apart, and that is not prosperity. You know, so we're going to talk about that. But that's our problem is that we've locked into this thing that we've got to have more and more and more and more and more. And I'm telling you, that is not the heart of God. God's heart is that you find your contentment in Him and that your needs are met in Him. And that when you get a hold of that and your motive of the heart gets right before God, you see, that's when your heart gets right, then he will grant you the desires of the heart. Okay? Because he's not, he's not facilitating your selfishness. He's not facilitating your sinfulness. And I hear people all the time saying, well, the word says God will grant me the desires of my heart. Well, your heart's carnal. And it's selfish. And at times it's sinful, exceedingly so. And God's not facilitating your sinfulness. But when you get your heart right before God... The Bible says that when David penned those particular words, it says that he had a heart that was after what? You have a heart after God, and he will grant you the desires of your heart. If you're needing some wheels to do kingdom business, he'll give you a great set of wheels to do kingdom business. But if it's just so you can, you know, I, I bless their heart. I, I have a nice neighbor, but bless their heart. They got two people that live in their house, and I counted up the other day, and they've got about eight vehicles that sit there. And I look at that every time I walk my dog around the neighborhood. I look at those eight vehicles, and they're nice vehicles. And, you know, it's, hey, I'm glad, they, I'm glad they have the finances to be able to do that, or at least I'm assuming they do. Maybe they just have the credit to do that. I don't know. But I say to myself, you can only drive one of them at a time. I mean, how, how much do you need? And I say, man, give me, give me six of them, and we'll flip them, and I can, I can get some gospel stuff done with that. All right. But this is how God works. When Lazarus had died, how did God, how did the Lord bring him back? He spoke, didn't he? He said, Lazarus, come forth. When there was a storm raging and they found themselves in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, how did, how did the storm get stopped? They were speaking. And when I read to you about the lepers, well, I didn't read to all of you. I read to some the other night, the leper story. How were the lepers cleansed? They're cleansed because Jesus spoke. Okay? That's the model. Speaking, calling those things that be not as though they were. Amen. Stand with me. i got to cut you loose.